Good morning, everyone. We're going to turn in our Bibles today to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, and we just heard in song how wonderful, how marvelous is my Savior's love for me. Appropriate in that we're going to hear a a part of a sermon preached by Jesus, our Savior. He calls, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And this one passage that we're going to explore today, which is in verses 21 through 26, he's going to talk about anger. Anger and repentance and forgiveness. And it's going to remind us that God's love for us is such that He wants us not only to relate rightly to Him, but also to relate rightly to each other. It matters to God how we get along with each other. It matters how we treat each other. And because of our sin, in this world, we're, we're going to rub each other the wrong way. We're going to sin against each other. We're going to do each other harm, sometimes out of, out of malice and spite, sometimes accidentally, sometimes just through carelessness. So Jesus talking to his audience here, we're going to pick up in verse 21. He's going to tell us some important things about anger and what it means to repent. And the first thing we're going to learn is that anger is spiritually dangerous. Anger is spiritually dangerous. Pick up with me in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders is in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in the danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. He says this word over and over, danger. Jesus wants his audience to catch something. Um, if you are at somebody's house, you, 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 you go to visit and they've got a sign in the yard that says, beware of dog. Okay? What should you do? Eh, there might, it might be a joke. They might have a yappy little, sh- tiny little dog. Or they could have a big dangerous dog. You see a sign and it, and it warns you and you'd be wise and prudent to say there's a danger attached to whatever this is and I should tread carefully. So Jesus here gives us warning signs of danger. You've heard, you shall not murder. You, you shall not kill. That's, that's universally agreed upon. That's, that's biblical. Don't kill people. But I say to you, so Jesus reserves for himself the right to expand the law beyond just actions into the heart. He'll do this with adultery. You have heard, you shall not, and he's not just talking about the action. He says, I say to you that if you lust in your heart, that's the same thing. You have heard that you should keep your oaths. And he'll say, I say to you, You don't swear oaths at all. Just say yes or no and stand by your word. So Jesus is going to take what the law prescribes for our behavior and apply it to our hearts. It's not enough just not to kill somebody. Okay, If we murder somebody, that's a spiritually dangerous thing to do. It's a terrible sin. We can agree on that. 
Jesus is pushing it past that, that a murderous state of heart is a dangerous state of heart to be in. And he says that if you're angry without a cause, you're in danger. Well, let's pause there a minute. Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, whoever means you and me and all of us. There's no special privilege to harbor bitter unforgiveness in our hearts. Well, um, for most people that's true, but I am a special victim because the offense against me was so egregious that God surely understands why I just cannot forgive. No, whoever is angry with whom? His brother, and we're are wise and prudent to expand that, sister as well, all of us. See, Jesus sees us as members of one family, and he says when we're angry without a cause, that's dangerous, spiritually dangerous in a way that we'll explore in a moment. It's that expression without a cause that makes it tricky, though, because anger, it usually has a cause. Anger is never primary. We're not angry just for the sake of being angry. Whenever we get angry, we're angry because something else has triggered that. Usually, it, it's, it, it's a gap between what we believe should be and what actually is. Like, I believe that I should be treated with respect, and you have totally disrespected me to my face in front of other people, and it's the disrespect that makes me angry. Are you with me? Or, that was mine... I would have given it to you if you had asked, but you took it. And you shouldn't take things, and I'm angry. That's, that's the thing. There's always a cause. Anger is not primary. It's always secondary to something else. So when Jesus, he says, angry without a cause, he knows what he's talking about here. He, he, he knows enough to know that humans are what we are such that anger is not the first thing. It's a result of something else. So there's a sense in which we're never really angry without a cause. There's always a reason someone has sinned against us. But I think what Jesus wants us to see here is there's really no cause. When I think about the offenses that I have done against Christ himself and how he forgives, how, how people held him down after beating and scourging and nailed him to a cross. And while they're swinging the hammer, he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What cause do I have to hold on to anger? If Jesus can forgive that kind of offense in the moment, suffering, what cause do I really have? I think he says it the way he does because he knows when we stop and think, there's a cause. We're not just angry for nothing, we're angry for something. But is it something? Not really. Not compared to the offense we've caused against God that he forgives so freely. Usually, our anger is an overreaction and a refusal to forgive. Usually, anger comes from taking ourselves too seriously. Now, we can be really, truly violated and wronged. That does happen. I mean, deeply. But a lot of the anger that we hold on to is over-responding. We blow things up. We turn them into something else, which he'll talk about. And we keep that anger because it's a refusal to forgive. When we think of all that God has forgiven us, then we realize we really don't have calls for anger. But anger causes us to sin against each other. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of, of a council. Okay? 
the judgment of other people. Now, raka is an Aramaic term. It means empty head. And we have other words that you know, and I won't use them here because I don't want to teach them to, to young ears, but we call each other things. That, that question, is this person even thinking? Are they even aware of the world? He says you insult somebody in your anger and you're going to bring judgment. Danger of, of a counsel. Other people are going to look at you and say, that's, that's really bad behavior on your part, right? We do that. They say, don't treat people like that. But whoever who says, you fool, in the Greek, it's moros, from which we get our word what? Moron, yeah. Just, that's danger of hellfire. Now, in Jesus, the judge starts talking about danger of going to hell. We should perk up. How should we understand this? Is this a special word we should never use because that word sends people to hell? I doubt it. It's a posture of the heart. It's an attitude. It's when I allow my anger against you to cause me to sin against you, I've got a spiritually dangerous condition going on. Now, is it worse than other sins? We, we need to remove ourselves from the thought that, that certain sins send you to hell and certain sins don't. Sin sends people to hell and a refusal to repent sends people to hell. So when Jesus is talking about it, what he means is a refusal to repent of anger Spiritually is dangerous. You're, you're living in sin when you refuse to forgive and you sin against others because they've made you angry. It's to allow anger into your heart is spiritually dangerous. Jesus uses the word over and over, danger. And in English, anger is only one letter away from danger. I'm sure that is irrelevant to Jesus' point, but it helps us to remember if I'm angry, this is dangerous. I'm probably going to sin in my anger if I don't watch it and make sure to pursue holiness in the way Jesus will be talking about. Anger is spiritually dangerous. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but we have a world that feeds on anger. Every evening, you turn the news on and they tell you what to be mad about, who to be mad at. You watch entertainment and so much of it is based around anger and, and revenge and restitution. I went to a bookstore, and I said, I, I need a book for a young lady. And I went to the young adult, and it was about petty, vengeful, vicious behavior in middle school. I'm like, Why would you give this to a kid to teach them to be angry? Anger is a, a facet of our culture. It matters. It's out there. And it's dangerous. The answer, though, is repentance and reconciliation. Pick up in verse 23. Therefore, you're reading your Bible and you see this word and you look to see what it is. Therefore, is there to link two ideas. One, anger is spiritually dangerous. Therefore, whatever comes next. The answer is right here. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Catch the shift here. Your brother has something against you. Anger is dangerous, so if you remember that you've sinned against somebody, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Watch what Jesus does here. First of all, he, he reminds us. When we bring our gift to the Lord, God reminds us of our sins against others. 
if, if we come to the house of God or to the worship you offer at home, your time with God, you're bringing a gift to the altar. You're bringing yourself to the Lord with an open mind and an open heart. Very often he'll bring to mind the very things you need to repent of. The ways in which we've wronged each other. So if you bring your gift to the altar and there, remember, not that you have something against your brother. Your brother has something against you. That when we come to the presence of God and we're reminded that our sin affects the people around us, we learn God is more interested in our relationships than our religious duties. Leave your gift at the altar. Why? Because God doesn't want. Hear me now. God doesn't want the gift from a person whose heart is so hard they refuse to repent to one another. If you can't repent of sins against each other, God doesn't want to hear you sing praises. Oh, that sounds harsh. If you can't repent of sins against each other, God doesn't want your tithe. We think he'll, he'll overlook that because my heart toward him is how it ought to be, but my heart toward her, I'm not apologizing. She started it. I'm not apologizing because I'd have to admit I was wrong. Whatever it is. When that's the posture of our heart, he says, leave your gift. I don't want it. Go be reconciled. Then come back. Yes, I want it. Yes, bring your gift. But I'm more interested in your relationships than in your religion. I want to bring us back to Joel 2. I'll start in verse 12. Now, therefore says of the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. I don't want external show. I want heart change. To return to the Lord, your God. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. Great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. He says, I don't want external stuff. I, I want a changed heart. I don't want your gift. I want your heart to be right with your brother or your sister. But ideally, there's both. First, be reconciled. Two people put back together. Then, by all means, come and offer your gift. He wants your praises. He wants your prayers. He wants your tithes. He, he, he wants you to come to Him and bring who you are as a living sacrifice, but He would rather you're right with each other first. If you remember that someone has something against you, now catch the way these first two ideas interact with each other. One, anger is spiritually dangerous, right? It's as bad as murder for your soul. Two, if you remember that somebody has something against you, Deal with it. So who's the angry person here, you or, or the other? Anybody? It's the other. So watch how Jesus gives us this ministry of grace to the people we have wronged. Catch this. Anger is as bad in your heart as murder. So if someone has reason to be angry with you, go and repent and take that reason away. Is it good for me to repent? Absolutely. Is it better for the person who's angry with me if I repent and give them what they need to let that anger go? That is a ministry to them 
from God's Holy Spirit in me to God's Holy Spirit in them. This is not about me. This is about the other, the person whose soul is in danger because of their anger. We minister to the people we've wronged by repenting of sin. One more idea, which brings it closer to home, starts in verse 25, that when we repent and forgive, we can save years of suffering. So Jesus is going to do something strange here. We need to understand it, or we're going to misunderstand it, and the way we understand the story will affect our doctrine. So let's, let's see if we can get it right. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him. Or he'll deliver you to the judge. The judge hands you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you'll by no means get out of there until you pay the last penny. Wait a second. Anger is dangerous. Okay, gotcha. If you sin against somebody, you need to repent. Gotcha. And if not, you're going to be imprisoned until you've paid it all because that person is going to hand you over. And Jesus takes this, this whole other direction out of nowhere, right? Here's what he's doing. He's, he's telling a story, as he very often will do, to make a point. And the point is not the story. The point is the point the story is making. <coughs> so what he's talking about here is, is when you owe someone money, in their world, if you refuse to pay and you, you just don't pay, they had the means to have you imprisoned until you pay it all, which is really productive because prison jobs pay so well, right? What, what would usually happen, not among the Jews but among the Romans, was they would only do that if you had a rich uncle, who for the family honor will bail you out, okay? Because if you're in prison, you're not getting paid anything. There's no paying your debt back. This was to leverage somebody else to make your payment. But the Jews didn't do this often. Jesus is talking about a practice they would have been familiar with, but he's not talking about that applying here. It's to tell a story to make a point, and we need to understand what the point is and not get too hung up on is this is this. Uh, are they being purged after they die for their sins and all that? No, no, that's not the point he's making. He's pointing at something and saying, if you don't repent, it's going to look like that in your life. So the best way to understand it is that the prison for the, the debtor is symbolic of unforgiveness and the way that it imprisons us. So let's understand that. He begins with the command, make peace. Agree. With who? Earlier, he said your brother. That's a nice term. Now he says your adversary. Not as nice, is it? When we're enemies with people because we're set against each other because we've wronged each other, that's the person we need to agree with quickly. And notice he says, agree. Man, that's tough. Well, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you misunderstood me. I'm sorry if I caused pain. I'm sorry if it seemed 
Okay? Have you done that? Where you're hedging. You're not apologizing. Accommodating. Well, I mean, if, if you're so petty and small that you just need to hear it, then fine, I'm sorry. Of course I don't mean it. Okay? Jesus says, agree. And this is what repentance means, is to change our minds and agree with God that my sin is sin. And he says, agree with your adversary. Agree with the person said against you. You're right, I did wrong you. Didn't mean to, but I'm accountable for what I do, and that, that hurt you. And I agree that I hurt you, and I did not mean, and I, I am sorry for it, and I repent of it. That's what he means, agree. Not to hedge, but to have the humility to change our minds about our sin. You should do that quickly, because here's what happens. There's the offense, right? So-and-so offended me. And they won't even apologize. The refusal to, to apologize becomes a whole other offense on its own, right? And it adds up. It's like, are we going to talk about it? Do you even care? No, you don't. Now you've wronged me twice. So agree quickly with a person who sees themselves as your, your enemy. Where? Along the way. Be easy for this word to slip right Bias, but he's already used it once. He says, when you bring your gift to the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave it and go your, your way. And here they're, they're on the way. Now, the word is odos. In your car, you have an odometer to measure road. Odos means road, path, the journey that you travel along. Okay. He says, you leave it and you, you go on your life with this person and you repent. And as you travel along the way, as you and I go through life together, we agree with each other about our sins against each other quickly. That's what he's, he means here. And the reason is because we can be imprisoned with bitterness and resentment. Your adversary deliver you to the judge? The judge hands you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. He's not talking about real prison. Okay? It might apply, but his point is where we've wronged each other and we need to repent and we need to forgive because anger is dangerous. So again, he's, he's using what we see over here, the prison, to point to what's going to go on inside of us. And the... the the point is a refusal to repent of sin is like owing and refusing to repay a loan. Imagine, or maybe you don't have to imagine, maybe remember somebody's in a tough spot and they have a need and, and you give them a loan and then they stop calling. You go, wait a second. And then you say, is that a new car? And they owe me money? How do you feel when that happens? Resentment builds up. Bitterness builds up. A refusal to, to repent is like a refusal to repay. It alienates people from each other. It imprisons us against each other. And the longer we remain unrepentant, the harder it is to make peace. Assuredly, I say to you, you will be by no means get out of there till you paid the last penny. 
It's going to keep you longer than you want to stay. It's going to take you farther than you want to go. It's going to cost you more than you want to pay a refusal to repent to each other of sins. Will you, will, will you go with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 12? This passage is so good and sums up so much of what we just saw from Jesus. Helps us to understand it. And it gives us a biblical example in the form of Esau. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse 14. Pursue peace with all people. And holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. If you're bringing your gift to the Lord, holiness, and you remember that that your brother has something against you, peace with all people, God's desire is that we're right with him and right with each other. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Verse 15, looking carefully, Jesus talked about danger, looking carefully so no one falls short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, watch this, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Whoever is the author of Hebrews, we're not sure who he is, he summarizes so much of what we just saw from Jesus. Watch this. To pursue peace with all people in holiness. God's desire is that we're right with him, but his desire is that we're right with each other. And he's going to take all the redeemed of all the ages from all over the earth, bring them into his presence in heaven, and we're going to live together in peace and harmony. That person you need to forgive because they wronged you, you're probably going to spend eternity in heaven with them. And guess what? Neither one of you will care or remember about that offense. When you get in the presence of God, you're going to drop it. Can you drop it now? Can you repent of it? And forgive it now. Pursue holiness and peace with all people, apart from which no one will see the Lord. Oh, he, he said, hell fire here, not seeing God. This is serious. This is spiritual danger to refuse to pursue holiness and peace. He says, so no one will fall short of what? The, the grace of God that the grace of God is to enable us to repent and even to enable us to forgive. And people have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to forgive terrible offenses and violations and wrongs. There are people who have been wronged so much worse than you who have found it within them to forgive. By the grace of God. Be careful lest we fall short. Hang, hang on to unrepentance or unforgiveness. And miss grace. Because a root of bitterness can spring up. You know, he is like a 
It's a path. What happens with a root on a trail? It springs up and then what? You trip on it. it snags you up. Interrupts your, your walk along the way. He says, watch out for roots of bitterness. Now, the thing about a root is that you see the upper part. It's like an iceberg, right? There's a whole lot underneath. And it's a root, okay? Just pull it out, right? Good luck. Because by the time it's big enough to ensnare us, it's established. It's in there. And all the life is, is from underneath, and it's just, it's, it's rooted. Okay, be careful, because unforgiveness, unrepentance will root down into your heart, and by the time they show up in a way you recognize, say, I bet I've got a problem. I didn't realize how angry I was at him. By the time you realize it, it's established, it's rooted. Be careful. And then one more here, watch Esau. We know the story of Esau, right? sold everything his father wanted him to have for a bowl of soup because he was hungry. He despised his inheritance. Esau was not so great. Neither was Jacob. He, he, he wasn't so good either, right? But Esau, afterward, watch this, found no place for repentance even though he sought it bitterly with tears. What could Esau not find? It wasn't forgiveness. It wasn't that he got to the point where he repented and there's no forgiveness. He got to the point where he couldn't even repent. His, he's, he's brokenhearted over his sin, but he, oh, he can't let it go. He feels the pain of it, but he can't turn from it because the root is so deep. He says, watch out. We end up like Esau when we refuse to repent to God or to others, you refuse long enough and you get to the point where you just can't. Even though you know you should, even though it hurts. He says, be careful, we'll end up like Esau. Bitter tears, but oh, my heart's too hard to change. What Jesus wants for you, what he wants for me, is a soft heart. A heart to repent when we realize we've wronged each other. And sure, we do. We have. The people you love the most, the people in your own household, the people at work, the people at church, yeah, we sin against each other. And he says, bring that back to them and agree with them and repent. And when they do that, forgive. Because if we're hard-hearted long enough, we just stay that way. So my call to you, it's a call to me, it's a call to all of us. As you bring your gift, as you bring your offering, as you bring yourself to Christ, open your heart for him to tell you who you need to repent to. Who have you wronged? And do it. Leave your gift and go. It could be in this building today. It could be on the phone when you get home. It, it could be whatever obedience looks like, but agree quickly with your enemy because otherwise we can get ensnared in hard-heartedness. Be quick to repent to God and others. And when people repent, be quick to forgive and then to drop it and let it go to be restored to one another. That's what God wants for you in your home, 
your family, your church, with all of his people everywhere. The problem is anger is dangerous. The answer is to repent and to forgive.